Thanks for checking out this episode of the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast. Every Wednesday, my guest and I talk about a movie we've enjoyed and throw in some fun trivia facts for you during the conversation. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Post your comments or questions or your favorite scenes from the movie that we talk about. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com. And joining me once again on the podcast, one of my favorite people in the world, my oh, brother. Stop it. The one and only Tim Donnelly. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, Tim, you and I are going to discuss one of the silliest movies of the 1980s. <laughs> Agreed. It's a good one, though. Yeah. And it holds up pretty well. It does. Uh, 30, uh, what, 32 years yeah, later? 32 years. 32 years. God, damn. We're, God damn, we're getting old. Wow. So the movie we're going to discuss is Police Academy. Yeah, which one? <laughs> uh, really, the only one that truly matters. Okay, the, the yeah. first one then. I, I think Not I probably Police Academy forty three. Yeah, I think I probably checked out by four, maybe. Uh, four is about when I when Steve Gutenberg stopped being in them. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a good... <laughs> I kind of thought. Well, if it's not good enough for him anymore, <laughs> yeah. then maybe I can skip the other sequel after sequel after sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made seven of these, and amazingly, I read that the producer had intended on making ten of these movies. Don't. I can't even imagine that. Ten of them. How many well, more noises can Michael Winslow make? <laughs> the reality is, I love this movie. Hey, I kid because I care, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's know. It's fun. It's a fun movie. I'm not going to be one of those podcasts that just sits there and destroys every movie that no, they talk about. No, no, no. Screen Facts is, is not about crapping on the movies. No. We, we no. do movies that we love and are fun yeah. to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, if there's money to be made, Hollywood's going to make it. Absolutely. And apparently they were still making money with these movies seven in. So. Yeah. I assume uh, that they probably don't cost a lot to make budget-wise. So even if they don't have a big theater run or if even if they don't have any theater run, I don't yeah. even know if the last one was in the theaters. Yeah, I'm not even sure, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, even if it goes straight to DVD or, or whatever, uh, you could assume that perhaps they make at least the budget back. I would venture to say that the people that they had in the cast were probably locked in right. for as many sequels as they wanted to make. It sure. was kind of like, here's the deal. We're going to pay you X amount of dollars and we want to have that be good for as many sequels as we want right. to make. And then if you don't like that, you can stop being in the sequels. Right. You can go scratch. And that's probably like Steve Gutenberg. And did. I don't mean that in a in a nasty way. No, not at all. But that's probably exactly what, what Steve Gutenberg did. Sure. He said, okay, you know what? I feel like my acting services are worth right. more than that. Now, <laughs> right, so. right. I think I've taken Carrie Mahoney as far as I can <laughs> take him. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think by the time uh, he checked out of this series, mm-hmm. you know, he was probably doing Cocoon and a couple of other things that were pretty yeah. successful. Cocoon, so. he was in Three Men and a Baby, Three Men and a Little Lady. And uh, yeah, it was a nice uh, nice, nice boost to his career. Yeah, absolutely. So the original Police Academy released March 23rd, 1984. And as we said, stars Steve Gutenberg, G.W. Bailey, who's phenomenal. Oh, he's great. <laughs> he's, he's, awesome. he's such a great turd in this movie. Yeah, he's great as Lieutenant Harris. Oh, he's awesome. Kim Cattrall and Michael Winslow. Kim Cattrall was only in this one. Actually, That's right. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, she went on to great success in Sex in the City. Yes, she did. Directed by Hugh Wilson. He was also one of the writers of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Also co-written by Neil Israel and Pat Profts, the story as well. And Profts also wrote the Naked Gun movies, Hot Shots 1 and 2, Real Genius, and one of our favorites, Bachelor, Bachelor Party. Party. Good stuff. Yeah, he's got some comedy cred. Absolutely, absolutely. So the budget for this movie, you were talking about budget before, that they it probably didn't cost a lot to make these movies. Right. Possibly they cost a little bit more as they went forward. Because, you know, as they became more successful, maybe the actors looked for a little bit more money. But, right. So the budget for this movie was $4.5 million. Wow. 1984, that's nothing. Yeah, that's a pinch. I mean, yeah. 
but uh, it made a lot of money too. It grossed $81.2 million, second only to Beverly Hills Cop in terms of gross box office for R-rated movies in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to get sued. Stop. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the only film in the series. You pointed this out when we discussed yeah. ta- um, talking about this on the podcast. Right. It's the only one of the police academies that it's rated R. That's right. And that's probably why it's the funniest. <laughs> and if you and if you, you watch the movie from start to finish, it's, it's not a raunchy R. No. There's some nudity, there's right. some talk of sex, and there's some cursing, but if you think of all the other uh, comedies that came out around this time, I mm-hmm. guess uh, you think of Porky's Bachelor Party, Revenge of the Nerds was also out <laughs> around this time. Uh, Police Academy, by far, is the least raunchy of all of them, I think. Absolutely. And um, I think probably the reason that it got the R rating was because of that scene where Gutenberg is looking at the girl showering. And you right. see, and they're all topless. Right. And then, of course, Harris, you know, comes over to stop him from looking, takes the With beer the from beer, him, and, the and then he gets him. The, yeah. It's caught. Yeah. There's also a scene where um, they're on break for the weekend, and mm-hmm. they have a party and there's on more the beach. And, right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. <laughs> there really wasn't a lot of language, right? No, not really. Yeah. Just a, just a handful of curses. And yeah. really, that's it. Yeah, in fact, I read that uh, the only time that you hear Tackleberry curse is when he says, drop that stereo before I blow your goddamn nuts off, asshole. And that's the only time he swears in the entire series. Wow. Which is amazing, considering how crazy that character is. Yeah, true. Yeah. So the film uh, was made in 40 days. Wow. So real quick, you got it done. Got it in, got it out. <laughs> it helped, and maybe we'll get into this later in the podcast, that mm-hmm. most of the, uh, the the location was all in, in one. Right. They were, able, they were able to film in. Most of the principal photography, I think, was done in Toronto. Okay. At yeah. an empty asylum. Yeah, yeah. The location for the Academy campus right, right. was the, the Mimico Lunatic Asylum. Actually, it was the asylum from 1888 to 1979, <laughs> and then uh, Humber College acquired it in 1991. And it was abandoned and uh, mainly used for filmmaking before that. So, okay. So it was already abandoned by the time the police academy crew right, got there. Right. Know. It's kind well, of apropos that they filmed it at a lunatic asylum. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of a bunch of lunatic characters in the cast. So I didn't really laugh out loud as much as I did probably when I was a teenager. Sure. Watching it again for the podcast. But it's still fun. It's still... Yeah. And that's the thing. This is a good example of a movie for me. When I watch it, it just brings me right back to that time in my life. Oh, me too. So how old were you? If this was... That's 84. March of 84, how old were you? Oh, you're going to make me do math. You old fart. Uh, 84, um, 15? Okay. I was, uh, I guess, 11 going on 12. Yeah. So it's perfect. Yeah. One of those movies like Porky's, <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds, even Beverly Hills Cop, when these came out... On HBO. Right. One of those I kind of had to sneak to watch <laughs> and not let my parents know that I was watching it. That's great. My parents, I think, had some of their friends over and okay. someone had rented Uh-oh. from a video store. Oh, no. Police Academy. Right. And I remember listening to the movie from my room okay. and listening to them laughing at the movie. Now, was this before you saw it? This is before I saw it. Okay, so that was yeah. like kind of your cue to go, I'm going to look for this one on HBO. Oh, I, I need to find this movie because <laughs> everybody great. in the living room is laughing and I'm not allowed to see it, which made me want to see it more. And I heard a couple <laughs> of the lines, you know, from, from my bedroom from right. coming out of the living room. So, yeah, this is one of those movies for me. I had to sneak and watch it. It was just one of those movies that, yeah. that everybody in your age group was talking about. Right. You right. know, especially because there were particular characters in the movie that really kind of stood out. Yeah. 
you know, Tackleberry is amazing. Tackleberry. That's a character. What I a went to high character. school with a guy who was nicknamed Tackleberry. Nice. <laughs> it was great. I think that's actually become sort of a vernacular, like for, you know, if you're in the armed services or the police or any. You're very into that sort of thing. You're, yeah. you're Tackleberry. Yeah, it's kind of become a thing. In addition to David Graff's character, I mean, Michael Winslow is so good in this movie. Yeah. Dr. Monsignor Larvel Jones. That's right. Uh, but he also doubles as the voice of all the public announcements. Yes, uh, he does. Public address announcements right. that you hear at the Academy. He wasn't in the original script. The part was written for Winslow, Yeah, which is amazing. After Hugh Wilson and the casting director saw him open for Count Basie. Wow. Very cool. They right? specifically went to see him. Yeah. Count Basie was doing a performance like out in Long Beach, yeah. California. Yeah. And a story I heard about that is the power went out. Yes. And of course, the the microphone is really integral to Michael Winslow's act because he does all these sound effects. Right. So Michael Winslow went to, I, I guess, the, the fire marshal mm -hmm. who was there and asked him if he had a megaphone. Yep. And Michael Winslow did his entire act that night through a megaphone because yep. the power went out. And the filmmaker saw it and was like, we want this guy. You're hired. Yeah, because he killed. Yeah, he just which killed is, it. Which is amazing. I mean, talk about a unique talent. Yeah. I mean, that's not really something that you see too many people do, if any. Now, with acapella. Hello, there's beatboxers, sure. which he does a little bit of in the movie. Can you make an argument that that can be traced back to Michael Winslow? Uh, probably. Perhaps. I'm not sure if it, if it was done in like hip hop records early right. on, but I mean, certainly, you know, all the other stuff that he does is just amazing. Oh, yeah. The filmmaker said that when this movie was playing in Japan, mm -hmm. the crowd went nuts when he's alone in his dorm room pretending to play a video game. It's great. He's making those sounds. They said the Japanese crowd just went bonkers. I'm sure, because the Japanese were the sort of big developers of video yeah. games back then. Can so. you say Atari? Yes. The cool thing is that Michael Winslow is one of three people from this cast that were in all seven movies. Wow. <laughs> so it was Michael Winslow, David Graff Tackleberry, mm -hmm. and George Gaines, Commandant Lassard, <laughs> the only actors to appear in all seven Police Academy movies. Winslow even takes it to the next level. He had a regular role on Police Academy, the series. Right, there was a series. I don't remember that. I don't uh, know how I missed it. I could be wrong about this, but I think it was an animated series. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, though. Okay, that I think would be it was animated. That would be why I don't really uh, remember it, I guess. Marion Ramsey as Hooks. I, I, I was watching, the, there was a featurette. I, I, I want to be a police officer. What? <laughs> I can hear you. I, I want to be a police <laughs> Don't unpack. Yeah. She was actually in a production of Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, she was. Prior to being in this movie. Yes. And they made her wear uh, a fat suit. Yeah. For the movie. I didn't realize that. I was trying to look for that when I watched the movie again, and it was really hard to notice you know, any of that. I think you can see it when she's not wearing her police uniform. Okay. I don't think she's wearing a fat suit in her police uniform. I think there's a, I think you're right. I think there's a noticeable difference. I think you're right. And, and the reason they wanted her to wear the fat suit was because originally the script was going to have the character lose all this weight during the training, and it right. was going to be a big thing in the movie. Right, 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 right. And then they just kind of tossed that idea. Yeah. So for the sequel, they decided to keep Ramsey in the fat suit. Uh -huh. they, they just said, you know, it's kind of her character now, and we want people to kind of feel sorry for her a little bit because she is that little soft-spoken character. Not at the end, she's not. Except for the, yeah, except for the, the famous line, <laughs> Don't move, dirtbag! Yeah, I mean... The audience went nuts. Yeah, and the funny thing about that is that the audio guy on set was so used to recording her in that, that soft voice... Right. 
that when she did that line, apparently he wasn't given the memo. Right. She blew it out. <laughs> yeah, she blew his ears out, you know. <laughs> did you hear who inspired the voice? Michael Jackson came to a performance, I think, of Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. He was like, oh, I love your voice and you were so good. And, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She kind of took her cue from that. Mm-hmm. And when she came in for the audition, they said, you know, we want to have you read. And she came in and just did a little bit of the voice. Oh, right. never mind. You got the part. Yep. Yep. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. So according to Entertainment Weekly, Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, and Judge Reinhold were considered for the role of Mahoney. Bruce Willis also auditioned for the role. Wow. But Gutenberg just has almost like a childlike mischief about him. Yeah. That I don't know if those other guys would have been able to pull off as well. Agreed. Um, I, I can't picture Bruce Willis playing Carrie Mahoney just as I can't picture Steve Gutenberg playing John McClane. When Steve Gutenberg auditioned, he wore an old police shirt that belonged to his dad. Yeah. His dad was a New York City cop. That was cop. a New York City police officer. And I think that was one of the things that sort of helped them see him as the character. Sure. Believe it or not, this script is based on uh, kind of a real-life experience. The producer, Paul Maslansky, before making Police Academy, he made around uh, 24 films, I think, without really earning a solid hit. He was in San Francisco doing something associated, I think, with the filming of The Right Stuff, and a group of local police cadets were called in to help with crowd control, and Maslansky was just blown away at the diversity of these cadets, all shapes and sizes and colors and genders. And he spoke to a, a sergeant that was on duty that day, and the sergeant uh, just kind of said, well, it's a new policy, we have to take everybody who applies, but we can get rid of them after three weeks. And right. cha-ching! <laughs> Maslansky then had the idea for Police Academy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, not only the diversity, but how inept they were. Right, you know, right. they were very awkward and they sure. were, you know, they didn't seem to know what they were doing. Right. So it's great to, where you find inspiration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just never know, right? Right. Speaking of inspiration, there's another incident in a movie that came from real life. One of the funny gags in the movie, there's, there's quite a few, obviously, but one of the great ones is the shoe polish on the megaphone prank yeah. that they do, <laughs> that Mahoney Harris. does to, to Lieutenant Harris. That came from a story told by one of the crew members to the director, Hugh Wilson. Wilson thought it was funny enough to include in the movie. The prank was originally played on Death Wish director Michael Winner on the set of one of his other movies. Nice. Which is a very funny prank. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and, it, and it plays very well in the movie, too. Yeah, it does. It does. Just the, the way Lassard reacts to seeing him <laughs> right. <laughs> is almost as funny as the prank itself. just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> we got to mention the reference to this set of movies... Recently in, in the news, too. Yeah, at the Democratic <laughs> National Convention when uh, Bill Clinton spoke, right? <laughs> yeah. Something about uh, he, he and Chelsea watched all, at the time, I guess, six Police Academy movies yeah. one day, he said. Yeah, he said that he actually took a day or two off so he could do that with her. So um, we could watch all the Police Academy movies. <laughs> ah, ah, it's, ah, ah. it's nice to know that the leader of the free world uh, enjoys this kind of humor, you know, at that time. Yeah, restores my faith in democracy. Absolutely. Clinton actually told Steve Gutenberg that Police Academy was one of his favorite movies and he would watch it whenever he was in a bad mood. Oh, wow. To kind of like bring him back to uh, a good place. There you go. The presidential seal of approval. We don't know for sure, but uh, there's a good chance this movie might have stopped a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> That might be a stretch. Thank but... goodness for Police Academy. Yes. Thank you, Steve Gutenberg. Thank you. <laughs> Thank goodness for the Police Academy stops the nuclear war. <laughs> Congratulations, Mahoney. Very glad you have bun in the oven. I wonder if that's how the mission to Moscow uh, came about. <laughs> you never know. All right, so what comes to mind when I go... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Oyster Bar, of course. Duh. 
Talk about, you know, one of the things about this movie, when you watch it now, and, you know, and this is the case with a lot of movies from the 80s, so politically incorrect. Very politically incorrect. Oh, God. Yes. I mean, there's racism. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, homophobia. Yeah. There's bigotry for everyone. <laughs> Regardless of your particular prejudice, it's here for you. Listen, I don't advocate any bad stuff like that, obviously. No, of course not. But you got to laugh with the Blue Oyster Bar. It's uh, you got to laugh. It's, it's still funny. Yeah, Police Academy is, while it holds up well, I think, it's also a movie of its time. Yes, most definitely. As, as a lot of those 80s comedies are, yeah. very of their time. Yeah, off microphone, we've talked about how politically incorrect Revenge of the Nerds is, yes, too. Yes, yes. It's crazy bad. Very much so. When Mahoney gives false information of where they're having the big blowout during their time off from the academy, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a gay bar. Right. And Blanks and Doplin. <laughs> Blanks and Doplin. <laughs> As Harris calls them. Right. Uh, they end up at the Blue Oyster Bar. It's still funny. <laughs> it's funny. Their reactions are funny. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Blanks and Copeland. Either the choreographer or the art director or the costume designer or, or something like that called up his friends, <laughs> and that's who showed up. And one of the actors, I forget if it was Brant Van Hoffman who plays Blanks or Scott Thompson who plays Copeland said, all these guys showed up all dressed in leather. And I think he said not a single one of them was like under six foot three. Which plays even better because Scott Thompson is so small. He's so small. And the guy who's dancing with him just tosses him around like a rag doll. Like it's ballroom dancing. (laughs) Yeah, like it's nothing. And I believe both of those guys who were dancing Mm -hmm. were trained ballroom dancers. Yes, yes. But the bar itself was actually a very popular place in Toronto, the Silver Dollar Room. Okay. And the location was also used as the Blues Club in another fun 80s movie, 1987's Adventures in Babysitting. Ah, with our girl Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, the Babysitting Blues. That's a fun movie. That's another fun movie. movie. Chris Columbus, right? Indeed. And the Blue Oyster Bar also makes an appearance, uh, I think, in a few of the other Police Academy movies. Yes. It shows up in at least the second movie because of Proctor. Right. Who's like the flunky to the new lieutenant. Right, right. Mauser. Yeah, his name yeah is. Mauser. Art Mertrano. Art Mertrano is the actor. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, so there, they go, uh, the Blue Oyster Bar, where's that? And he just rattles, rattles off, the off the address immediately. And they all look at him like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all I have to do is hear those first few notes and already I'm laughing. Yeah. Another thing that happened during the filming of this movie, the actors that played uh, Blanks and Copeland, right. they came in with their normal hair. Mm-hmm. They did the scene where they get their head shaved. Harris tells them to get yeah, haircuts. Your three dirt bags go to the Academy of Barber before you do anything else. Exactly. They shot that scene first for some reason or early on. Right. And then after they had already shaved their heads, they realized, oh man, we have to film the scenes where they arrive at the Academy. Right. So for them to arrive at the Academy with buzz cuts obviously doesn't make sense. Right. So they had to wear these terrible wigs, and you could see in the movie that they're wearing wigs when they get to the academy. When they're in the barber shop, that's their real that's their hair. real hair. Yeah, and then for the rest of the movie, they right because the, the movie cuts. was shot out of sequence, so they had to get fitted for these really horrible wigs. Yeah, hair hats they yes. call them. When I say "Hey, dirtbag," <laughs> that means you. <laughs> he's so over the top. G.W. Bailey. He looks like he's having a blast in the room. Oh, he- yeah, I think so. There definitely seems to be a lot of great chemistry. Yes, there's a, All com- the there's that, that a, came com- in. a camaraderie there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously having a Leslie Barber character who comes in and he's, yeah. you know, he's getting bullied by that group of, I guess, brothers. Yeah. 
you know, when they throw the photo mat booth mm-hmm. into the into the river and the whole thing. And it's funny because the thing almost capsized. Yeah, he almost turns yeah. over in the yeah. water. And that, that obviously wasn't planned. Nope. So another funny scene in the movie, and certainly one of the classics, is when in the middle of the night, Hightower comes into Mahoney's room. It's like three in the morning, he wakes Mahoney up. (laughs) And he tells him, look, I haven't driven since I was 12 years old. Since I was 12. (laughs) I haven't driven since I was 12. And, you know, if I fail this driving test, they're going to kick me out of the academy. Right. You know, so Mahoney goes, all right. So the first thing we got to do is steal a car. Copeland's (laughs) Copeland's will do. (laughs) And it's this little, what is it, Honda Civic? Civic? Yeah. A 1980-something Honda Civic. Yeah, tiny, tiny car. Right, which Bubba Smith can barely get his knees into. Yeah, he's like 6'7 or something Are crazy. You comfortable? No. Why don't we move to that? Second thought, why don't we just rip the front seats out and sit in the back? So he does. <laughs> he does. He does. I was actually kidding about that, but comfort's important. This is good. It's all right. Comfort's important. <laughs> But when they're, you know, the whole chase scene is great. He's zipping all over the place right. and then there's a cop chase. But before that, he he rear ends a guy. Yeah. You know, because uh, Mahoney doesn't tell him to hit the brakes. <laughs> you didn't hit the brakes. You didn't tell me to. <laughs> so the guy that gets out of the car to go, what's wrong with you, you idiot? You dumb shit. Yeah. That's the director. That's Hugh Wilson. Hugh Wilson yeah. yeah. Yep. Making a little cameo. But my favorite thing about the whole sequence with them taking Copeland's car is when Copeland sees the car like the next day <laughs> and, and it's completely demolished. Yeah, yeah. And he's just standing there and he's just like, mm. <laughs> Mahoney. Mm. It's got to be Mahoney. <laughs> That's all he can do is just, mm. just this impotent little. little mm. Exactly. It's great. Mm. And then the next day they try to start a fight with Mahoney in the cafeteria and Barbara hits Copeland with the tray. They had to do that scene a bunch of times. Steve Gutenberg and Brent Van Hoffen, they kept cracking up at the face <laughs> yes. Scott Thompson made after he gets nailed with the tray. They couldn't stop laughing. He just has this stupid face on it. So good. The scene where, where Barbara slaps Tackleberry. Yes. Come on, hit me. Tackleberry wants him to hit him in the stomach. Right. Barbara slaps him in the face. Yeah. He's really slapping David Graff in the face. Yeah. And they had to do that about nine or ten times. And Hugh Wilson said, you know, after a while I started feeling sorry for David because Barbara, <laughs> we was really hitting him. It's funny because physical humor doesn't always make me laugh, but it, but in this movie it does. Yes. You know, that, that physicality is so good. And the actor who plays Leslie Barbara. Donovan Scott. One of the reasons he was hired is mm-hmm. because he could do physical comedy. Yeah. He walked into his audition and like did a flip. Yep. And he's like, and, they and said, landed oh, on his back. And landed on his back. Yeah. Right. And there's like, you're hired. Yeah. You didn't have to say a word. You're good. You're hired. Both Bubba Smith and Marion Ramsey remember very fondly the scene where she runs over Copeland's foot. That's right. She yeah. runs over Copeland's foot at the driving course. Mm-hmm. And Copeland responds to her with a racial epithet, which I won't repeat. Right. And Bubba Smith comes down and flips Copeland the car over right. with Copeland in it. And both Bubba Smith and Marion Ramsey said they love that scene. It's one of their favorite scenes. Me because, too, you know, actually. Bubba Smith is, you know, sticking up for her mm-hmm. in the face of racism. Yeah, actually, Bubba Smith said in an interview that I saw that he can't remember any other time where a black man mm-hmm. came to the defense of a black woman in that manner, like yes. that, in a movie. Yeah. And if you think of the irony, Hightower wakes up Mahoney and asks Mahoney to help him pass his driving test. Otherwise, Harris is going to kick him out. Right. And right after Hightower passes his driving test mm-hmm. and actually impresses Lieutenant Harris, mm-hmm. he flips the car over and he gets kicked out. By Lieutenant By Harris. Lieutenant Harris. Yeah. yeah. We mentioned earlier that most of the location shooting was done in Toronto. Mm-hmm. 
And Hugh Wilson, when I was watching the movie with the commentary on, he said a couple of things about that. He said, one, for the riot scene at the end, it was very hard to find a rundown, blighted neighborhood in Toronto. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> that's, that's The, the city was just absolutely clean and gorgeous, and the people <laughs> were wonderful. He said, we had to look really hard to find a rundown neighborhood that's interesting. where we could film the riot scene. And the, uh, the second thing he said was, the beginning of the movie, the parking lot where mm-hmm. Mahoney parks that car. Mm-hmm. So it fits. The damn thing fits. <laughs> Am I an idiot or what? Wiggler. That, wiggler. Dong, 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 dong. Girls. <laughs> that parking lot is now the site of the Hockey Hall of Fame. How do you like that? Yeah. That's yep. pretty cool. That's very cool. And another Toronto-related thing about the movie, one of the uh, the stuntmen in the movie named Dar Robinson mm-hmm. who was a Hollywood legend. Yes. Just legend in Hollywood. He made a very famous jump off the CN Tower. Mm-hmm. In Toronto, yeah. and if you look, Dar Robinson is in the movie. Not he does the uh, the motorcycle stunt yes. where Harris's head goes yeah when in, in Harris, a horse's ass. Yeah, Dar Robinson is the stunt guy on the motorcycle, and at the riot scene, the three men who approach Fackler in the police car. Fackler's like, "Is the radio too loud? Mm-hmm. I can turn it down." I think the guy in the middle in the red shirt is stuntman Dar Robinson. Oh, cool! I didn't realize that. Yeah, so he's in the movie. Okay, yeah, I mean, I knew he did the stunt for G.W. Bailey, but I didn't realize right. he was actually on camera, too. Yes, That's cool. yeah, he is. Very cool. Yeah. He was one of the, the best-known stuntmen back yeah. in the day. Him and Hal Needham were, like, the two yeah. stuntman names that you always heard oh, back yeah. in the day. And nowadays, you know, being a stuntman or a stuntwoman is probably somewhat of a lost art because they do a lot of stuff digitally now. Yeah. But they're, they're still out there. Yes, they are. And they're fighting... Because they're trying to get their craft acknowledged by the Academy at the Oscars. And I think that long overdue should be long overdue because, you know, I mean, without stunts, because stunts happen, fight scenes, you know, you don't even really, and even funny stuff. And that was the thing. Hugh Wilson talked about how when he signed on to do this movie, he wanted to have, because it was police, he wanted to have some action in there too. Yeah, there had to be some action sequences. And, you know, the scene where... Fackler basically starts the riot. Mm-hmm. He throws the apple, it hits the guy, and then all of a sudden the fight breaks out, a guy goes through the window, and then mm-hmm. it's like a domino effect from right, there. Right, It's It's so, the choreography of that is amazing. Yeah. It's so good. It's great stuff. Yeah, definitely, if you haven't seen Police Academy in a while, check it out again, because it's a lot of fun. I'm sure you could find it somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't actually own it like me, what a loser. <laughs> if you don't own the series, the series like you. The series. The series. The sequels don't hold up as much. The sequels I mean, also get, like, I guess you could say more family-friendly. Yeah. They go from R to PG-13 to PG, PG, yeah. PG. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, and it starts to get watered down too much at yes. that point. Yeah, very much so. You know, and no disrespect to the people involved in those movies. No! There's a lot of talented people. First person that comes to mind is Bobcat Goldthwait. I'm a fan. I think he's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, even he is sort of ashamed of having been involved in all those Police Academy movies. <laughs> Saw Bobcat Goldthwait a few years ago at a, at a comedy club. Mm-hmm. And like the first thing he says is, all right, any of you guys are expecting that Police Academy? Ugh, bullshit, because you've come to the wrong show. Yeah, he's kind of toned do down his act a little bit. Yeah. Nowadays. But I read something online about him being baited by TMZ recently. You know, they were trying to get him to say some shit about Police Academy or... <sighs> He kind of said, you know, with everything going on in the news today with, uh, you know, people not sure if they like cops anymore and cops being a little overzealous or whatever, I don't think I want to talk about a goofy series of films about cops. Right. Good for him. It's amazing how we could talk this long about such a goofy movie. Yeah. 
A good movie's a good movie. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny. And uh, as we've mentioned numerous times before on the podcasts, uh, you know, a little, uh, little nostalgia yeah. in my heart. Absolutely. Takes me back. Absolutely. Takes me, me back to my 11 slash 12 year old self <laughs> trying to sneakily watch a rated R movie on HBO. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. Tim, thanks for coming in and taking the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure, brother, always. All right. And thanks to you for listening to this uh, long discussion about a very silly movie. We appreciate it. Remember to like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash ScreenFacts. And if you have a favorite scene from Police Academy or one of its six sequels, let us know. You can leave a comment on Facebook. You can tweet me at Jason Davis Voice. You can email ScreenFacts at Yahoo.com. Please help others find the show by rating and commenting on iTunes. You can also show your support for the show by ordering ScreenFacts merchandise on the podcast page of JasonDavisVoice.com. We have the brand new car magnets. They're about the size of a postcard. I got two of them on my car, and people have asked me about them. Nice. And what it is. And yes, very I'm cool. More than happy to explain. They're working. Yes. Yay. I'll tell you what, the first five emails that I get saying, give me a magnet, please. The please is important, by the way. Mm -hmm. I will send you a magnet. But you have to, of course, in the email, send me your information so I can send it to you. Again, the email address is screenfacts at yahoo.com. Show theme music by audionautics.com. And thanks to wickedradionetwork.com and our announcer, Kim McKay from kimsvoice.com. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.